0: Hey, what's up everyone? Welcome to the audio version of the podcast. Thank you so much for hanging out. I super, super appreciate you. Today I'm talking to a man named Carlos Lopez who is a rather unique example of someone building up a name for themselves in a super high-end custom shop, specifically the Fender Custom Shop. And then instead of sticking with the tried and true nature of the big corporate entity, he struck out on his own to form his own brand called Castidosa Guitars. And these things are absolutely gorgeous works of art. They are incredibly beautiful, and I think you're really going to like his story, which is why I wanted to get him on and go over this whole tale, because it is quite the saga. And we will definitely do that ASAP. I have just a couple small bits of business to get into before we do. First of all, it's already mid-January, if you can believe that. And if you order from Stringjoy before the end of the month, if you need some strings, and you order from Stringjoy before the end of the month, that will put your name in the hat to win a Gibson SG. We're giving away a Gibson SG. You can find the details on our website. There are some things to go over, so go check that out. If you are interested in winning a really rad guitar, go check that out. And you need strings anyway, so why not, right? And then the final thing is, if you like these conversations but you want to get them in video form, I have been consistently publishing the video versions over on the Tone Mob YouTube channel. It's kind of a new thing, and it's not necessarily my preferred way to consume a podcast, but a lot of people have really been enjoying those, so I am putting them out over there. The feedback's been really great, and I will keep doing that as long as people keep watching them. Additionally, I am putting out other content there as well, so it's usually one podcast video, and one other video, a demo, a vlog, a informational bit, something else is going on over on the Tone Mob YouTube channel every single week. So if you want even more content, please go subscribe over there. Please help support that. That is a big thing that I'm trying to push along this year, and I would really, 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 really appreciate any help in doing so. So, yeah. All right, without further ado, let's get into this episode with Carlos. Here we go. welcome to another episode of the tone mob podcast the show about guitar stuff occasionally sometimes i'm your host blake wyland and with me today i have carlos lopez from casadosa guitars what's going on dude
1: Good, everything's good i'm (laughs) doing well how are you doing nice nice
0: pretty good i really uh really can't complain i'm busy in all the right ways so uh, that makes me happy you know nice
1: thanks thanks for inviting me appreciate it and uh yeah, this weird little community that we're in. It's it feels like a like a club. You know what I mean. It's like, a, <laughs> and uh, it's really cool just to kind of feed off everybody's different skills and interest, and but it's all kind of a, under the same umbrella. So that's it's pretty neat, neat right. to see, especially like in the, yeah. the boutique world, I guess. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, it really is a a, a lot of a lot of even like the consumers like myself will support you know multiple builders that mm. they really like and it's a it's 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 a very small nichey thing but it's a it's a beautiful thing and it's fun to be a part of for sure yeah but you've been you've been involved for a very long time i wanted to mm. have you on not only to talk about what you're doing today but how you even got to this point because you know and i, I, I say this same term a lot with a, a bunch of different people but people don't generally just wake up one day and find themselves to be a master builder in the fender custom shop you know so how did you even i know that's where most people knew you from initially mm-hmm. but how did you even get there how does one get to that position i think that's a bit bit of a dark hole that nobody fully understands unless you've been there
1: yeah um i really don't even know myself i think is this just a- you know, a a lot of luck and hard work and, you know, timing, I guess, you know, uh, Mm because I don't even know where, like, where do you want to start? I, I could start from, I guess we can start,
0: let's start early. Like, when did you, when did you pick up the
1: instrument in the first place? Uh, Well, I don't know. I've, I think the last couple of years I've noticed a lot about myself. It's a lot of kind of, you know, I guess, knowing yourself and just mm-hmm. knowing who you are. I've always been um, interested in how things work, but now I'm interested in how I work, I guess, and why I do the things I do and why I think the way that I think. <clears throat> and I guess uh, looking mm-hmm. back on it, I was um, always dedicated to one thing, you know, And so early on, I was very much into like martial arts and boxing. And, uh, I thought that's what I was going to do. And for some reason, I just, I didn't have any other, um, motivation to do anything. I just, I liked competition and I like fighting. And so I dedicated my whole childhood to that. And, you know, not knowing why I did that, I just, I just did it and I loved it. And, and you know, I, I wasn't one to do one thing and quit and do another thing. So I, it really taught me a lot of discipline. and and so, um, and so I got to a point in my, my boxing career where I noticed, you know, I was, I wasn't doing as well as I thought I would. And I, I, uh, was getting, I guess, hit too much. And so, I started mm-hmm. having some, you know, issues, you know, with getting hit. <laughs> and Sure. So, yeah, that, but, that'll do that. Yeah. But at that time, I was, um, I was probably in the beginning of high school. I started playing guitar and taking lessons. So I was doing two things at once. And it's one of those things where, you know, you can't serve two masters type of thing. And so little by little, mm-hmm. music and guitar took over. And I made the hard decision of, I guess, retiring or quitting um, boxing. And so, because my goal was to become a professional boxer. And, right. and it's just like, thinking about it now, it's just not something, you know, a kid thinks about. You know what I mean? Maybe they do, but, you know, when you get to, you know, a, an age where you have to make a decision, you're going to go to college or what are you going to be? You know, I already I thought in my head, I'm going to be a professional boxer. That's what I want to do. And, you know, I dedicated my, my body and my mind to that. But then I realized I loved something else. And so guitar took over mm-hmm. at that point. And, uh, you know, and it was kind of early on, you know, it was just like in the 90s. It was, you know, Kurt Cobain and Pearl Jam and, you know, Sunny Day Real Estate and all these, you know, bands that I loved. And that were associated with guitar. And I, right. you know, I had pictures of, you know, Kurt Cobain on my, on my wall. And it was, um, it was a weird time. It's funny because it's like, uh, you know, I grew up in East L.A. And, you know, predominantly, you know, Chicano, uh, you know, Mexican-American, and, you know, that culture. But then, you know, we're just, you can't get away from, you know, American pop culture. And so I was surrounded by that. That's what I liked. But then, you know, my parents, they, they, uh, cause my daddy's from uh, Central America. And so like, we always had like tropical, like cumbia salsa, you know, in the home, in the home. And so just coming up, I had, I was just surrounded by music, different genres everywhere. And so I got, um, so the love of music was the first thing. And I started playing in bands in high school and, Doing the whole you know, L.A. kind of scene, club scene, and which was fun. Mm-hmm. And I realized that I just I wanted to be in it, but I realized I wasn't that great of a guitar player to be competitive in it. So I, I and so <laughs> I just uh, I, I knew I wanted to be in the industry, but didn't know how. And so uh, my mom, she uh, she found an ad in in the paper about uh, guitar building classes. And uh, at the time, I had a, uh, a family friend that went to the first, um, I guess, uh, it was like the first uh, course of the MI, the GCA program. And so I would take all my guitars mm-hmm. to him, you know, and not knowing at the time that I'd be going there. So he told me a little bit about it. And so I, uh, I really just kind of dove into it, you know, just naive and ignorant about the whole thing but you know i was i wasn't really good at it at the first you know the first try and my guitar came out sure and you know but uh <laughs> i loved it though you know and i didn't give up and and i was i guess one thing about me is I, I i never give up and when i fail at something you know it just gives me more motivation to become better at it you know and so I guess that was the case, and so I um I got lucky really early on to uh, know people that worked at Fender, and um mm-hmm. and so the when I graduated that course at uh, NMI I um I went to go apply for a position at Fender and and I got it and you know right after graduating I got my um my foot through the door there. And, uh, what position was that? I was, uh, I was in the assembly line, just, um, you know, doing the, all of the, uh, I guess like the standard models. At the time, I think that the, the Highway One guitar was the newest model. So I remember doing those. Okay. And, um, you know, and just all of the, I forget what they called them back then, but it was just like the vintage series, I guess. And, uh, so that, that got me, you know. That's uh, that was the start, really. And so I kind of just worked my way up, and not really knowing where I was gonna go. But then, you know, I I built a shop in my house very early on, and so when I would, uh, you know, do my shift at Fender, I would go home and kind of uh, mess around and just acquire different uh tools and machinery and uh and like I got a lot of really cool like old machinery on um on craigslist and that was that was kind of fun hunting for stuff like that but um so uh I really just worked my way up and uh you know and so the custom shop is kind of its own identity within Fender And so you would see, you know, all these guys going into this. It looked like a secret club and not everybody (laughs) could go in, you know. And so I was always on the outside. So there was always like this allure to it, this mystique to it and uh, and and prestige. And then, you know, the more that I learned and the more history that I, I gained, knowing where it came from, where they came from, who's in there, it just made it even more special. To just uh, mm-hmm. to um, you know, it gave me a direction where to go. You know what I mean? There's there's something to achieve, and so that's what I did. I worked really hard to to be the best at at the position I was at, and you know, just having that that foundation that I that I uh, that I gained from uh, that building the guitar building course, it just it gave me a, a good uh, foundation to start from and so a lot of it i had to learn myself and a lot of uh, gleaning just came from just watching you know people doing the things that they do in different positions and so it was very mm-hmm. um, it was just a it was a cool time for me and um you know very early on you know when i got the job i just uh, i wanted to i wanted to have a family and i wanted to be married and you know, so my goal was to have, a uh, to have something to offer, you know, my future wife and all that. So I think that's why I worked as hard as I did. And, you know, I lived in LA and, uh, Corona is about, you know, an hour away. So I would commute wow. every, for, you know, like 14, 15 years that commute and, um, uh, you know, I, I did it and, you know, the shift started at five and I think sometimes four. So I have to get up at three Ooh. or two, you know, to Ugh. be there on time. <laughs> That's brutal. And so, but yeah. uh, it was it was kind of uh, eye opening because, you know, a handful of guys that went to the same program, they got the job. But slowly, you know, they all kind of just um, disappeared. They couldn't handle the, you know, they couldn't handle the commute. Or they made excuses why they couldn't do it, or they try to find a different path. But you know, I stuck with it and I persevered. I, I, I believe and you know, and I worked really hard to to um, to become what I you know I guess I am now. And and so the custom shop was was my goal. And so I um, I remember going to the director at the time and showing them my guitar that I made at MI. And, you know, just full of <laughs> I- ignorant confidence and saying, this is what I made. You know, I belong in here type of thing. You know what I mean? And so just right. sometimes you got to put yourself out there and, you know, and y- you can't wait for people to open doors for you. Sometimes you got to kick them through and let people notice. 100%. You. So that's what I did. And, you know, I didn't, I didn't have the skills at the time, but I knew that's where I wanted to be. And I wanted to be a master builder at that point. And so, but it took a long time to get there. And I had to, you know, I had to show my worth and I had to work hard and I had to do multiple things and learn multiple things to even be noticed, you know. And so it's just when you're at that level of of craftsmanship, you know, if uh, people like that notice you, and they see you working, and hustling, and learning. You know, there's there's no way they could deny you. You know, and so that's what that's mm-hmm. basically what I did. I just uh, just um, honed in, read a lot. I went to some college courses on you know on CAD and programming, and uh, I um I just kept learning every day and being around such great builders. Like uh, Scott Buell and Paul Waller and Todd Kraus, Yuri Shishkoff, um, you know Greg Fessler, you know all these guys. And they were just they've been there since the '80s, and they're really the you know because uh, at the time, like Jackson or in the, uh, Charvel, uh, Dwayne Charvel and um, and Jackson Grover Jackson, they were the first custom shop you know in the '80s that were doing the things that is, you know, uh, common now, you know, they're taking strats and putting Floyd's mm-hmm. on it and, you know, doing the hot rod stuff and, you know, doing the V's and they did all that stuff. They were the first, they're the pioneers of that. And, uh, Fender took notice of it. And, uh, that's when they started their own custom shop, I think in 87. And so, um, the Jackson was just the, they were just like the they're just killing it back then, you know. They they opened up a, a, mm-hmm. a, a new market, a new world for guitar builders, and uh, they kind of made a, a blueprint of what is um, what, what's possible, you know what I mean? And so, and so those guys kind of trickled in into Fender when Fender bought them, and so mm-hmm. like Todd and Scott they were there at at fender they were at the, the birth of the whole you know customization type of thing and so that was uh that's really cool to to uh to know people that uh, have you know have been there at the genesis of something and uh, and those guys are my friends mentors brothers and so that's it's really cool just to know that I could go i could call somebody and say hey I, how do I figure this out? How do I do this? So, you know, and and so that's what I did. I asked a lot of questions, made a lot of mistakes, and kind of fine tuned what I was good at because you know I'm I'm really kind of an idiot, but um, I have this <laughs> <laughs> I have this feel thing. I don't I can relate. I don't know how to explain it. Like I, I could feel things, and I know when things are right, and I have an eye for aesthetic, and I like I don't know the math. I just know how to do it. I don't know. I can't explain it. I just, I know when something feels right and I know when something doesn't, I know when something sounds wrong and I know when something sounds right. You know, and I've even with like tone from an amp, you know, I had a lot of experience with, um, with, um, with marshals and trying to dial in a good tone out of a Marshall because you know, when you when you watch, you know, like Spinal Tap and they tell you to put it all to 11, you know what I mean? It's just, it doesn't sound good. And it's like, this is the sound that everybody's looking for. And so it took a lot of experimenting and, you know, and uh, trying to get a good tone. and so. But all that stuff, like, I didn't know I was going to use it. and I didn't know if, what, what I was going to do with this. I thought I was just use this knowledge because of, you know, but it wasn't. It's just all this... These things that I was doing, like you know, trying to find a good tone, was shaping. It, it had everything to do with it, I guess. You know, and so I don't. Uh, mm-hmm. So I worked my way up, worked in the custom shop um, as the team built, and I was kind of like the head, you know, builder there and that was helping. I did everything in there. I learned everything, and it took me a long time to really perfect what I was doing at, at that time. And, uh, and so I got noticed, you know, it took a long time for people to notice me, but, uh, I got to a point where I was just, I got so ahead of everybody that there, you couldn't deny me, even if you wanted to. And, and, uh, when I got that position as a master builder or or even uh, working with Todd was really cool because, we had a lot of cool projects together, you know, he, he would, you know, I've made guitars and I've helped make guitars with him for Eric Clapton and Robbie Robertson, uh, Kenny Wayne Shepherd, David Gilmore, like anybody that you could think of. And, you know, that's kind of rock royalty. Like if I, I've had my hand in it and Todd has uh, trusted me enough to represent him and he would show me how he does things. And it was really cool. Just to see little by little how much they uh, like Todd would trust me to do big projects like that. So that was really neat. I, that was that's incredible. That was a highlight of mine. Really cool. It was. It, I was. It was awesome. And it's just like this little Mexican kid from East LA, you know, working with these big rock and roll stars. It's like it's it's pretty cool, you know what I mean? Because um, <laughs>
0: I'm
1: a, I'm a nobody, and I I just uh, and that's. I, I want to carry myself that way. I guess you know what I mean. That keeps me grounded and humble because all this could just end tomorrow. You know what I mean. I know that it's very nichey, and you know it's uh, it's very hard to sell art. You know, and it's not a necessity. Mm-hmm. And uh, I realize that, but um, I've I've uh, I've carved out a space for myself in this industry where it's um, it's uh, is valuable. And my guitars are are worth something, and because they're worth so much to me, you know what I mean. Like if I would, uh, every guitar that I make is um, is made by me. I don't plan on doing a high production run. I don't plan on doing um, a low cost build uh, and having my guitars made in 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 uh, you know in China or anything like that. I just. I'm so um, obsessed and controlling over what I do that uh, I need to be a part of every guitar that goes out. And so, I, and people are seeing that and they're feeling that. And, you know, I, I um, it's hard to recreate something and teach somebody everything that you've learned and trust them that it's going to come out the same way all the time. And so I think that's what makes my guitar special now is that every guitar is just, it's made by me. And, uh, and then you could tell by the feel and the look of it. And so that's uh, it's a cool thing to, to be a part of. But uh, anyways, uh, the whole Fender years was great. I had, uh, I did a lot and in a small amount of time and, but I've been there for almost uh, you know two decades and it was, um, it was a great learning experience and, you know it was a lot of hard work to kind of fight for what you want but you know that's what i did it was a lot of fighting and you know but it was <laughs> it was if you're surrounded by people that are talented and competitive you have to fight for it you know what i mean it's almost like living with a you know a big family you got to fight for your meal you know what i mean you got to fight for your space <laughs> so that that's what it was like you know
0: I wanted to ask you something because you, what you in this story, you've explained uh, a lot of you. You've explored rather like the fact that you have a lot of tenacity, and you really you put your mind to something and you keep at it. And I was curious, in your estimation, how much of that comes from your fighting background, or how much of that comes from just you as a person? That's just the way you are. Because I think in either of those pursuits. You have to really want it. If you don't really want to be a professional boxer, yeah. there's no way you're going to be a professional yeah. boxer. You're not going to accidentally become a, a professional boxer, just like you're not going to accidentally become a master builder. Yeah. It has to be very intentional, and you have to really put your mind to it. How much of that do you think was developed through fighting, or how versus how much is just in you as
1: a person? I think it's a little bit of both. I think um, you know, I think that's why I've uh, like recently been trying to figure out like why I am the way that I am and why I think the way that I think. And I think it has a lot to do with my personality. And then also just, uh, being, being able to, you know, listen to people that are wiser and taking direction. It's the discipline of it. You know what I mean? And the respect with boxing. Mm -hmm. And I think that's kind of, um, Transition into the guitar thing. It was the same thing, you know. Because I have, I had, um you know, senseis or trainers. They were just, I respected them, and I respected them as men, and they showed me, mm-hmm. and, and especially with my my father. You know, I I respect my father, and he was hard, and he was loving, and and uh, he was all that. He, he showed me what I need to do, but to become a man, I, I suppose. And uh, same thing with boxing. It was. You know, you you need. They're preparing me, and they're hard on me because in the ring, you're in there by yourself, and you need to learn Mm -hmm. how to to protect yourself and develop your strength and uh, never give up. Because a lot of it is is uh, who you are in the ring. Is um, if you're somebody that gives up. You're going to give up because there's fatigue sets in and uh, it's a lot of will. And you, sometimes you have to will yourself to the finish line. You know what I mean? And if you don't, it's, it's very much like the Rocky story. You know what I mean? He, he never gave up. That's what made him great. He wasn't the greatest, but he never gave up. And he got, you know, as many times as he got knocked down, he got back up. And he never gave up, and that's that's kind of really my story, I guess. You know, it's just in many ways, yeah. You know, I've been knocked down, but I always gave up. I mean, I, I never gave up. I I just kept, mm-hmm. I just kept going, you know. And so, and so I could. It's 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 really just like a. It reflects life, really. That's what to me boxing mm-hmm. does. So.
2: Hi. I'm Vincent, and I'm here to talk about the Maris Mercury X. (laughs) My dad's always going on and on about how cool Meris is. He really went off on one about the Mercury X the other day. He said something about a 4,800-hertz sample rate and 99 preset locations and 33 banks, and something along the lines of the most advanced reverb pedal Ever devised by man? That's all true, but I only care about one thing. This pedal sounds sick. So make sure you check out the Mercury X and all the other fine products at Maris.us, as well as fine retailers worldwide. All right, Dad. All now right, can I have my pocky?
0: How exactly do artists get their music on Spotify, Apple Music, Deezer, Tidal, all these services? How in the world do you get your music there? Well, in the past, you had to use something called a record label. But these days, you can use DistroKid. DistroKid is the absolute easiest way to get your music up on streaming services. And it's the most affordable way to do so. Not only do plans start at $22.99 for the entire year, that's less than 2 bucks a month, DistroKid also does not take a cut of your streaming revenue, unlike some other services out there. Even better if you sign up by going to ToneMob.com slash DistroKid. That's ToneMob.com slash DistroKid. One more time, that's ToneMob.com slash DistroKid. You'll get 30% off. That's right, 30% off. They're already extremely reasonable prices. So go to ToneMob.com slash DistroKid and get your music out there. Yeah. Yeah. Our uh, youngest son is named Rocky. And some people are like, like Rocky Balboa. I'm like, yes. (laughs) Like I love those movies because of that story. I know it's a character. I know it's not real, but I do think that it teaches an important lesson, right? It's like, it's not about how hard you can hit. It's about how hard you can get hit and keep going. Like that's, that's, that's pretty, that's pretty undeniable because you're going to get hit in life, oh, yes. you're going to have things that set you back, you're going to have problems. Yeah. <laughs> and are you going to curl up and die? Or are you going to push yeah. forward? And I, I really appreciate somebody that has the mindset of like, No, this ain't it we're, we're, we're going, yeah. you know, because it's, it's a lot easier just to stop. Oh, yeah. You know, mm-hmm. and that's part of part of why I'm able to do what I do. I was just I wanted to be in this industry so bad, and I had no idea how to get into it. So I just kind of, I've said it before, I've just kind of wedged my way in, whether, yeah. I, whether I was invited or not. Fortunately, it's a very welcoming <clears throat> uh, space in general. But I was just like, I don't know what to do. I, I, I love guitars. I love gear. I love all this stuff so much. I just want to work on it and be a part of it all the time. Yeah. And now that's the reality. But it, was, it took... You know, it took working three full time jobs yeah. for several yeah. years to to be able to get mm. there, and so I, I really appreciate that story. But what made you decide it was time to to break off and strike out on your own? Because that is a that is a different kind of scary versus mm. uh, yeah, and that, just trying to move upward <clears throat> through a, an organization.
1: Yeah, and and that and that's the thing with me. Like, I don't know why I'm not fearful of things like that. You know what I mean? And some people kind of fold mm-hmm. under the pressure or the, or the fearfulness of the unknown. I've never been like that. I just, it, you know, I'm fearful, but the things I'm fearful of, I, I want to um, kind of contend with it. Well, for example, like I, I was very fearful of motorcycles. And so I, um, mm-hmm. I learned how to ride and I got a, a Triumph Speed Triple just to conquer that fear. Ooh. You know what I mean? It's just like, yeah, <laughs> I was scared, but I wanted to conquer that. I don't want to be scared. You know what I mean? I don't, I don't like fear. And so I, I kind of just, you know, I, um, I kind of stand up to it, I guess. I don't know that, that that's just how I am, I guess. But, uh, yeah. So the, you know, and just like everybody, everybody went through something during the pandemic and the lockdowns and, you know, and, uh, for me, it was just losing a bunch of people and it, it mm-hmm. was, uh, that I cared about and, and, um, you know, I just, I don't know, I don't think I've ever talked about this, but you know, being at Fender, there's a, there's at the and at that level that I was at, you know, there's a, a there's an allure and there's a, a temptation. There's a, it's a, it feeds your ego. It's, um, excuse me, it, um. You know, it's very easy to get trapped in that world because of, you know, the attention and the things that come along with uh, that prestigious title. And, um, Mm -hmm. you know, it's it's very, I don't even know how to explain it. It's almost like you could lose yourself very quickly in that and believe the hype. And, you know, and it's when a lot of, you know, money's flowing around and, you know, you got rock stars calling you up and, you know, you're rubbing shoulders with, you know, the who's who in the industry and it becomes a different world and you become a different person. And I noticed that about myself. I was starting to change and I didn't like it. And, you know, and so I was, my relationship with my wife at the time was, you know, was it wasn't, as strong as I wanted to be, I felt like I was losing her, and you know. And then the pandemic hit; everything stopped. And you have to, and I assessed what What am I doing? You know, is this what I'm going to do? Is this what I worked for to become this? And you know, even with all the, you know, the glitz and the glamour, it was a lot of hard work. But you know, I, I uh, after losing a couple friends to to COVID. And, um, you know, things that were changing in the shop you know, I just, uh, I made that decision. I think I made the decision for my wife because I didn't, I want, you know, if I don't have like a good home or a happy life and I just have this thing, like, what do I have? You know, I, I just, I don't have anything, you know, it's just superficial. And, you know, I, mm-hmm. I uh, by looking back on it, I, I think I chose my wife, you know what I mean? I I chose her over that title, and and it was uh, and it wasn't you know I built myself up and you know enough where I knew I had something special and I knew that I had something that you can't teach and you know and that thing I've noticed is, is just the eye and the feel for aesthetic. And, you know, just doing it so long, it's really second nature to me. But the look and feel of things, you can't really teach. And, you know, I've, I've noticed that I, I think I've got that, that trait from my mom because my mom's very artistic and she kind of thinks outside the box. And my grandmother was like that as well. And so I, uh, I feel like I have got that from my mom and my, and my grandmother. And so my, um, when you look at my guitars, and you know, it's just I'm not trying to, you know, puff myself up or anything, but it's just because I feel the same way about them. When I look at my guitars and I see them in the 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 right angles, and you know, it just it looks good. It makes you want to play it. It looks it it looks fancy. You know what I mean? There's the artisticness and the you know um, an aesthetic to my guitars that draws people in. And then on top of that, Oh yeah. And then on top of that, there's a story behind it. And uh, the story is, you know, is, um, I think it inspires people. You know what I mean? It just, um, it's, uh, it came from a place where, you know, I wanted to, I, I, I wanted to create something with my wife and my family, create my own legacy and, uh, start from scratch really. And, And that's what I did. And, you know, sometimes when you jump into the unknown, you really don't know what's there, but you won't find out until you do it, you know. And that's why it was another thing. Are you going to let fear, you know, place you in where you don't want to be or are you going to take the leap of faith and see what you could create, you know, and your destiny is kind of in your own hands at that point
0: yeah I, I I love this story so much because it's it, it's reminding me of of myself in you know several years ago because I just remember being at the job I was at and, and going, man I don't I don't like this mm-hmm. like I still don't it's a good job. It was everything that it was supposed to be. but I was like, why am I still like bummed most of the time? why am right. I not in, I'm only happy when I'm home? I'm not happy here and it's not innate. It wasn't innately toxic or bad or anything. It just had nothing to do with anything that I cared about at all. And I realized, Oh, well, I put myself here. I did everything in my power to get to this job in this position. Every single step, every single uh, interview, every single anything I ever did was to get a job like the one I had. I had, and I realized, well, if you can get to that point you can probably get to a different point if you start working on mm-hmm. it you just take that first step you just start going you start diving into the unknown and you make those mistakes and you learn from them hopefully you really can't let the fear of the unknown stop you you've got to provide for your family yeah. and you've got to do what you have to do in that regard but i think a lot of people get trapped in that box and realize they don't, they don't realize rather that these things can work out and you don't necessarily have to jump in both feet first. You can baby step it to get to where you want to go as well. You know, it's like you did, you know, you acquired, you acquired the tools and things slowly over time to where you realized, Oh, I have everything (laughs) I need to make these things. Now it wasn't like you just took out hundreds of thousands of dollars immediately. Mm -hmm. You know, you did it slowly over time until you saw a point where it made sense to actually take the yeah. leap. And I think a lot of people need to realize that is it, it's it's not all or nothing. Yeah. Oftentimes, yeah. you work on it, you work on it, you develop your craft, you keep working on it, whatever it is, it doesn't matter what the project is. And eventually, you'll get to a point where you can see how it actually pencils and makes yeah. sense. It doesn't have to be uh, this. This whole rip the band aid off thing.
1: Yeah, exactly. That's exactly how it went.
0: Exactly. Mm -hmm. So, since you have been on your own now, have there been any new lessons? You're like, oh, well, I was working for this large company and insulated from, you know, books and, you know, taxes and Mm -hmm. things. Like, were there any lessons you learned after taking that leap that you would? Pass on to another potential small business
1: owner. Oh yeah, there's a lot. It's every day I learn something, you know. Luckily, I have you know a good um, um, support system w- with Stephanie, and so she she's um, she really she's taking a lot of responsibility on the business part of it, you know, with invoices and figuring out you know what uh, licenses we need and all that stuff, and you know, so she's really um grown into her own but yeah there's a lot of things that i have to that i've learned you know how to manage your time how to manage your money how right. to manage inventory how to schedule this all these little things that you you take for granted when you're working at a big company you know like i was and you know just the smallest things you know but uh but um i've uh, I've learned, you know, not to take, yeah, like to take little steps. You know what I mean? You don't need to, you know, take out, a, you know, a big loan and get a big old factory. You know, I'm starting off small and, and it's, it's already outgrown my space already. And, but, you know, I'm not in a rush to, 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 you know, to, um, I'm not in a rush to get myself in debt <laughs> and to, to take a, make a <laughs> stupid decision. You know, I'm taking it slow and we're having a good time with it. And, you know, we don't have to worry about, you know, a lot of things anymore, but there's a lot of things we have to worry about now, but it's, um, but it's a fun ride though. And it's, um, it's uh, doing it with Stephanie has just made it more worth it. And, <clears throat> you know, I didn't realize at the time where, yeah, you know, I was spending most of my time with, you know, the guys at the shop more than I was with my wife mm-hmm. and my kids. And so now being at home and uh, being with my family full time and uh, seeing them every day, you have to readjust. And you have to um, get to know that person again. You know what I mean? And so I'm, I, I've really mm-hmm. gotten to know Stephanie. And we've gotten really close, you know. In the past year, um, we're really close now, and we're at, we're at a, a place in our in our marriage where you know i I, uh, I see her differently. Like we love each other differently, and we're very uh, we're inseparable now. You know what I mean? Like I can't. Like when she's gone or she's going out, like I miss her and I I can't I don't want her to be away from me and the same with her and and that's really unique because I never felt like that before. You know what I mean? It was it was like uh, let me just go. I can't. I got. I can't wait to get out of here because I want to go do you know whatever I was going to do. And so I think maybe it was just immaturity and selfishness, but I've learned to kind of give up myself for her and it's the best thing that i've ever done in my life i think you know what i mean and having having kids and raising them not having somebody else raise them you know, it was it, it made it all worth it to give up to sacrifice something for the greater good i think
0: mm-hmm. yeah the the kid thing hit especially home because i was yeah, in that in that other job is when my first son was born, and you know he's still not very old, but he's seven. And then I've I've been home since Rocky was born, and I constantly tell my wife, I was like, "Wow, I didn't realize how much I was missing." Mm-hmm. Like I knew I was missing stuff, yeah, but I was still, you know, home when I I wasn't going out and partying or anything like that, you know, by the time I was having Vincent, our oldest. But but with Rocky, just like the little things, just the little funny things that I get to experience on a daily basis now. Yeah. I just I'm constantly amazed how much I missed with Vincent when he was that age. And I I thought I was I thought I was getting a lot of it, but I really I really wasn't. I was only getting about a quarter maybe at best of of his his experiences and I realized that saying that, that's what most people's experiences are. That's certainly what my dad's experience was, you know, he, he definitely had a more than full time job while I was a little kid, you okay. know, and, and he missed a lot of that stuff as well. What was nice, though, is by the time I was like 12 ish, he, he was working for himself and he did so for, for about 12 years. So the whole time during the really formative years of my life and my sister's life. He was, he was around way more than, than average. Uh, but he did realize as he, as, after we were out of the house that, and this is kind of speaking to, we've talked about how similar we are and there's a different type of person out there too. And that's my dad. Like he's not, he's not the entrepreneur type. He's, he doesn't, he doesn't like, running the business mm. he does he he didn't like it he never did yeah. like it he wasn't he'll tell you he's never really that good at it but uh he he just he did it for a while yeah. and he knew enough about himself that like hey this isn't yeah. for me i i i want to punch a clock go in do my job punch out and not have to think about this yeah. anymore yeah. and just live my life that way and i totally respect yeah. that and i understand a lot of people are that way oh, but yeah. This keeps coming up a lot. <clears> this <throat> little saying that I've I heard one time that an entrepreneur is is somebody who will work eighty hours so they don't have to work a forty. Mm-hmm. And I was like, yeah, <laughs> that's me. Yeah. <laughs> Same. i I have way less stress with the. It sounds weird to some people, but I have I stress less with all the weight on my shoulders mm-hmm. and knowing that I can make the decisions that'll impact what what immediately impact what happens yeah. versus having to file stupid paperwork that I know doesn't matter just because somebody said that I have to. Yeah. You know, that that was more frustrating and stressful to me than just having all the pressure on myself. I, I, I don't know why, yeah. but people are just wired differently, I suppose. Oh, yeah. We're, did, we're, so, uh,
1: we're, we're all it, different. and If we were all the same, it would be boring. So it it, it yeah, would be. So it's, uh, yeah. it's funny how... With that in <clears> mind,
0: I, I was curious, did any of the other builders that you work with were like oh man you're crazy uh, all, for doing this of them, or were they all of them. oh all yeah, of them yeah really
1: well no <laughs> no, actually um uh dale dale wilson he he was i think probably the only one that was like he saw like i told him my plan and he was like yeah you're going to do fine you'll be good like he i think mm-hmm. he was the only one <laughs> but everybody was like yeah you're crazy what are you doing everybody was scared and you know i was Mm -hmm. i wasn't i wasn't scared and i I felt it was gonna work but it was always the unknown like what if it doesn't you know the doubt but uh it didn't stop me it was just like this is what i'm gonna do I, i made my mind up and and i and i did it and uh and it's it's working out so far
0: We are brought to you today by Sweetwater, specifically the gear exchange. You may have heard about this. This is a place where you can go to buy and sell your used gear. Maybe you got a pedal over there that's just kind of collecting dust. Maybe there's something you've been eyeing from the Sweetwater catalog. Well, right now is a great time to turn that unused gear into something you're actually going to use. Even better, if you sell on the gear exchange, you can keep 100% of the sale as long as you choose a Sweetwater gift card as your payout method. That is not too shabby because, let's be honest, most of this buying and selling we do is just to fun new gear purchases. And that is a great way to reach a wide variety of customers and keep 100% in your pocket, or rather, on your pedal board. So go check out the Sweetwater Gear Exchange and turn that unused gear into something that's actually going to help you write that next huge riff.
3: Hello there. I'd like to introduce you to your new best friend, the Chase Bliss Audio Lossy. Lossy is a collaboration between Chase Bliss and Good Hertz. It's meant to give you some control over those weird digital artifacts that come with every compressed audio. You're getting it right now. All the changes that are taking place are strictly coming from my playing dance. I'm just interacting with the pedal and letting it do its thing. And some true stereo goodness. If you'd like some more details about Lossing, I invite you to head over to chaselessaudio.com
2: gonna
0: like what you find. Yeah. I mean the whole the, I guess I asked myself that question too. What if it doesn't work? And the answer I came back to is well, I got this job. Yeah. I guess I'll try to get another if it doesn't work out, I'll try to get another job, yeah. I guess is 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 the answer. Yeah. I think people do worst case scenario that like, well, what if it doesn't work? Well so who cares? Yeah. Like if it doesn't if it doesn't work out then do whatever you were doing before. Yeah, you know, I know that's probably a little bit difficult with being a master builder at Fender. That's probably a little bit difficult to uh, just roll right back into. But uh, oh yeah, they, they there's were... there's always somebody looking for that skill set in some trade.
1: Yeah, yeah it, it was funny because when I when I left, I got a lot of phone calls from you know different companies. You know, um, <clears throat> and um, that was pretty nice that, that they noticed me. You know what I mean? I just I, I've been very like insecure and. You know, just uh, I didn't think anybody paid attention, you know, and so or really cared or noticed and when and I was totally wrong and that was that was kinda eye opening and encouraging. And um I just uh it was um it was it was great to see then to know that people care and you know, people notice you, you for what you do and uh and sometimes it's just, um, you know, I, I find it more fulfilling because now I have, um, I was able to, to hire an apprentice, uh, Connor Moore, and he's, um, I've been teaching him and uh, showing him how I do things and he's picking it up pretty quick. But, you know, just uh, the fact that I could help somebody else or employ somebody else to, you know, to, to bring somebody else to a different level are to help them in their career on what they want to do and you know that's more fulfilling like I feel like I have more impact in 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 the world you know and uh, to to help to to help you know my to help my neighbor i guess to help you know just to help people and uh when you're not living you know solely on yourself and it's uh it's more fulfilling that way I, I, i'm finding when you're trying to live for others and not yourself, and that was something that was hard for me. I think mm-hmm. you know, it was just um, I think I'm just naturally very selfish. But um, but knowing that you are and trying to change it is kind of like the first step to you know self um, awareness. You know.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, it is a uh, it's underrated. You know, helping others is almost, uh, it feels so nice that it can al- almost be selfish feeling sometimes, which sounds very like hoity-toity and who look at me, but it, it is, it really does feel nice to throw people a bone, you know, yeah. just like you see somebody that needs it and you're able and you're in a position to be able to help them yeah. do whatever. I mean, even holding the door, mm. like whatever it is, it feels good. To most people, and uh, I think I think a lot of people who are really miserable would be shocked to find how much that does for them. Yeah,
1: the same with me. I and- I feel like when I'm like hyper focused on myself and what I'm feeling and what I'm doing, I feel more depressed. And when I focus all my energy on others, my wife, my kids, you know, people around me, friends, when I put take myself out of the picture. I don't feel sad. I don't feel depressed. Mm-hmm. I don't, you know, I'm, I'm learning that. It's like, just let go of yourself. You know, don't care so much about what you want, what others want. And so I'm, and I'm, and I, I like that. And I, and when you take focus off of yourself and focus on others, I think you become happier. You become a happier person. And I think I'm just you naturally do. just, um, you know, I guess a, a depressed person, I suppose. But, you know, I don't, I haven't felt like that in a long time. And so I, I think I found something that works. So I'm going to keep doing it.
0: (laughs) I think that's a good plan. So switching gears a little bit, uh, before we, before we get into the classic questions and, and wrap this episode up, we were talking briefly off the air about Nashville and oh, yeah, yeah. you know who we you were talking about some of the guitars behind mm-hmm. me that equip <laughs> specifically uh, <clears throat> how kevin moved to nashville and just the whole there's a lot of people migrating to nashville mm-hmm. i it's funny i know at least 3 californians that are in nashville now yeah. uh specifically to do music related things for the most part yeah. and uh I don't know. You you said it was it was sort of tempting to you as well. What have you been thinking? Yeah,
1: I had a couple offers to come out there, and you know, I just um, I don't know. I feel like I'm just a, I like to be different, I guess, or a loner, or I don't know what it is. But when I see everybody doing something, I always do the opposite, and I just uh, that's just how I am. <laughs> and so I just uh, I I don't know if it's if it's consciously or subconsciously, but I. I don't want to do what everybody else is doing. I like to do my own thing. You know, when somebody, when everybody else is doing this, I'm going to do the opposite. And that's just how I, how I function, I guess. But, um, but, uh, you know, it's tempting though. I mean, that, that just on paper, just, yeah, that, that should be the move. You know what I mean? But I'm just, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm fortunate and enough and I'm lucky enough I'm able to make it out here in California, where it's really expensive, and I'm I'm I, I'm doing pretty good. Where I could you know survive out here on my own, and that uh, that's uh, and that's something that I'm you know I'm, I'm blessed with and I'm grateful for. And uh, but um, yeah, if uh, if if everybody is doing it. I'm probably not going to do it. And that's probably the only thing that, that kept me away. So, but, uh, yeah, they have their own thing up there. They have a great, um, guitar building community now. And, you know, one of the best, um, musician city, you know, in, in the world, I think. And, and, uh, Oh, absolutely. But we got the same thing over here in California, in Southern California, you know, and like, a you know like a 20 mile radius you got some of the best guitar builders in the in the world are out here in this you know in southern california you know where, where i'm at and uh and uh you know in just an hour away you go down to you know downtown and you got some great musicians and great bands coming in and out and you know we got we got the same things but uh, over there it's a little bit more magnified and um and uh a little bit more concentrated I think but uh, over here it's um you know it's it's I love California I don't think I I can move my whole family's out here and you know that that's that's one thing that that keeps me grounded over here is my family and you know and Stephanie's family
0: I super relate to that cause it would make all the sense in the world for me to move to Nashville Uh, string joys in nashville i got lots of friends in in nashville it's really truly my home away from home at this point i go there uh multiple times a year and i absolutely love it Mm -hmm. there my family loves going there it's it's a wonderful place and it would it would make so much sense for my career for me to move there but all my family's here in oregon Mm -hmm. and i I'm an Oregon boy and I'm even more specifically like a Willamette Valley yeah. Oregon boy. like I can, I can go to Eastern and Southern Oregon and I'm like, it's beautiful. this is great, but I love this area. I love yeah. the Willamette Valley area and I'm just like born and raised you know I I grew up, I uh, got you know got out of my parents' house was like I'm gonna be my own independent man now. I moved a mile and a half uh, away. And uh, never moved, yeah.
1: never moved any further than that. Oh man, there's, there's so, nothing wrong with that. I think that's the right. I think yeah. that's the right move. You know what I mean? Because <laughs> I did the same thing, and you know, we we moved a little bit further from my parents now. But I'm realizing now, man, my kids. You know, I'm such a. I've never been a parent before. Like how that, you know, how the mm-hmm. hell, am, what am I doing? You know what I mean? But. My, yeah, <laughs> but my parents have. You know what I mean? They have so much knowledge and wisdom to that we can glean from, and I, I think that uh, grandparents are a bit underrated. You know, in the elderly, oh, for yeah. the most part. But I'm realizing, man, like our kids need their grandparents. They need their cousins. They need their aunts and uncles. You know, and that those are the that big family uh, t- type of. Um, you know, um, thing is very crucial. I think to kids, and so that's why I I, I need to be around my family. We're you know we're a tribe, mm-hmm. and you know we we depend on each other. And uh, it's nice to know yeah. that if any of my family members needed help, I could just drive out there, no problem, and be there in a heartbeat. And the same with me. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So I I don't see the benefit. Of doing everything on your own and living on your own, and you know, because what the hell do you know? (laughs) You know,
0: (laughs) (laughs) yeah. I grew up with a very large family, and I've said this on the podcast before, and people are like, "Wait, what?" But I had between like great greats and greats and all that. I had eleven parents slash grandparents, great grandparents, blah blah blah. When I was born, and most of them lived locally like within a half hour or so. So there's like a picture of me with all my grandpas yeah, when I was awesome. a little baby, yeah. you know. <laughs> and it, and it was a really great experience. Uh, it really really was and as much as possible I'd like to might have my kids have a similar experience yeah. you know, because it was it was really beneficial to grow up with you know my great great grandpa yeah. going over there and you know or excuse me my, my great great was gone yeah. but my great grandpa and and grandma and going over there for like I don't even know like 10 years mowing their lawn
1: yeah
0: talking yeah. to them like learning the, the from their experiences it was it's crazy to think that most kids don't see their great-grandpa yeah. you know, I got so I I was not only fortunate enough that he was still they were still alive but that I they were still alive for quite a wow. while that's awesome well throughout my childhood yeah and it was and I really truly got to know them as people they were alive till i was i think my great grandpa passed when i was like 16 or 17. and so i was there all the whole time so it was a really really good experience for me and that's i'm with you i i can't i can't leave simply for that reason alone on top of it i love Oregon, so you you know it just it (laughs) but yeah we're getting close to the end of the episode um and I have a couple <clears> of <throat> classic questions I like to wrap up with. Sure. But before I do, this is where I like to give the guests the opportunity to plug anything they want to plug, shout out anybody they want to shout out. You know, you know, whatever you want to do, the floor is yours to talk to a couple thousand people right
1: oh, now. Oh, man, I don't, I don't need to plug anything. I'm, I'm just really happy just to be here and talking with you, and I appreciate you uh, inviting me and just to share my story, I guess. You know, that's, that's really... You know, I don't have anything to plug, you know. I'm I'm really I'm doing I'm doing good and you know, as um if people don't know me by now, I mean they could they could just check us out. <laughs> <laughs> and for the audio people,
0: he pointed at his hat. So go check out his guitars. The links for all that will be in the show notes, and uh you definitely should go check those things out. They're beautiful. All right, final questions. First one. <clears throat> What is your favorite
1: boss pedal? Oh, the boss pedal. Oh, I don't know. I like the, what did I have? Oh, this, the, you know, the digital delay I had for a long time. And the, what was that? That green overdrive one. I had those, man, mm-hmm. I had so many pedals throughout the years. And <laughs> I, I had, uh, I think I've had every, you know, at some point, every like pedal, but, uh, I still have my board. I don't use it too much, but yeah, I think the digital delay one is probably my favorite. You could do so many. DD3? Yeah, yeah. you could do, yeah. Yeah. Because before, you know, they had like the tap tempo back in, you know, the 90s. You had to kind of preset, you know, the, the right tempo to get the, you know, whatever you're trying to do. And so, I remember you know, dialing that in and at gigs, you know, the tempo would be all over the place and readjusting adjusting your, the <laughs> tempo for the delay to match. You know what I mean? I, I like that. That was cool. That was fun times for me. But I think. The, I agree. The, yeah. You remember those, um, I think it was back in the nineties. Those, um, uh, what is it? Those, uh, DOD pedals. Uh, you remember oh, yeah. the, I remember getting the grunge pedal at, the. Uh,
2: uh, uh, at, at I the have them all oh yeah
1: one man those things are yeah, yeah that's cool I remember that because uh, you know I wanted to sound like Kirk Cobain like oh I'm gonna get the grunge pedal yeah that'll give me the sound that I needed <laughs> <laughs> so that, that was fun and
0: then it was like a super high gain like ridiculous distortion okay. like well, this
1: doesn't sound like Kirk Cobain what's yeah. going oh, the, on oh I had the we didn't know I just the, needed a DS1 I wire. had the metal, the metal zone I had the metal zone for a bit yeah <laughs> that was fun so oh yeah oh yeah, there you
0: go. Here's one. Yeah. Uh, that brings back memories. <laughs> I'm an addict. I have I have way too many pedals. Way yeah. way too many pedals. But they're just laying all yeah, over yeah, yeah. That's cool. <laughs> Just kind of out of screen. But uh yeah, good stuff. So the DD3, we'll go with that. I like that. I just got my first DD3 myself. I actually got a DD2 and a DD3 yes. from the same guy. And uh they're they're the exact same pedal. Oh but like the the long the long ship DD2 mm. and the DD they're 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 identical but one says 2 and one says oh. 3 and I don't know I just like to collect pedals yeah. it's a sickness so it's fun all right final question this one gets a little bit a uh, little bit dicey a little bit weird a okay. little bit controversial but what is your favorite kind of pizza
1: oh man there's this i like the man i don't know <clears throat> i like all pizzas I think like the deep dish pizza. Mm-hmm. I kind of don't. I kind of want to say it's not a pizza. It's more like a casserole, but I love it though. And but uh, yeah, it's still good. Yeah. I agree. Ah, just mm-hmm. I don't know. There's this place in um, Eagle Rock, you know, kind of uh, an hour away from me. It's called Casa Bianca, and it's uh, owned by this you know old Italian couple. But they make the best pizza. Mm-hmm. It's just you know I don't know what they do, but it's the greatest pizza it's thin it's just you know has a lot of flavor you know pepperoni and olives is my go-to and that's that's great. i don't know what style it is it's just a great pizza so
0: all right i like it. is it like a wood fire yeah. thing is it like a little 12 inch yeah mm-hmm. Yeah,
1: mm-hmm.
0: yeah exactly oh man i, I love that know. well that's another one i gotta add to the list that sounds phenomenal i, guess I gotta get pizza today now <laughs> <laughs> It's Friday. Uh, so it just makes sense, right? Yeah, I
1: mean me and Stephanie, we uh, we've been going to bed, you know, pretty late because of the holidays and everything. And so, you know, we get those sudden mm-hmm. cravings at the end of the night. And last night's like, oh, I feel like I ate pizza. So that's kind of been on our uh, on our minds for the last couple of days.
0: Right. <laughs> it sounds like you gotta make a trip to Eagle I Rock Rick so, yeah.
1: Like, yeah. <laughs> nice.
0: All right, everybody. Uh, thank you, dude, for coming on. This was a, a really great conversation. I really enjoyed it. And uh, we'll get into, get into some nonsense on, on Patreon, if that sounds good cool. to you.
1: Let's do it. All right.
0: All right, everybody. For Carlos, this is Blake. And as always, folks, good luck and good tones. All right, folks, thank you for sticking with me. Thank you for all the support on the podcast. Please make sure you go check out Carlos's work at castadosaguitars.com. He didn't want to plug, but I'll go ahead and do it for him. You really, really need to check these things out. They are simply incredible. And I also think you will really enjoy the Patreon conversation I had with him. We got into some weird stuff, and it was very fun to see him light up with a conversation he did not expect to be having but was very, very, very relevant to his interests. So that was a lot of fun. And you can access all of the back episodes, all of the bonus episodes, and the ad-free version of this podcast by going to patreon.com slash tone mob. If you go to patreon.com slash tone mob for five bucks a month, you'll get access to the ad-free feed and the bonus episodes, including the whole back catalog and the ongoing bonus conversations that happen every single week. And for three bucks a month, you will get access to the ad-free feed. So if you don't like the new ad format, I totally understand that. But I got to pay the bills, and I wanted to give a cheap option to people who really just did not like that. So 3 bucks a month will get you the ad-free feed, and 5 bucks a month will get you the ad-free feed and the bonus episode. So please, go check that out if you're able. And if you're not able to, of course, I would ask that you could share it. Share this with somebody who you think would like it. Tell somebody about it. That is the way this show has kept growing. That is the way that this show still exists to this day. It was in the top 5% of podcasts shared on Spotify last year. And I'd like to see it get up into the 3% if we could. So sharing is caring. Please share these things with people who you think might be interested. Or like some podcasts I listen to say, force your friends to listen to it. And you may just make them a new fan. If you're on a road trip, hey, you've got the aux cord. People still have ox cords these days, right? That's a thing. Yeah, just put on the podcast. Just let your friends hear this uh, rambling nonsense. That's what they want. That's what everybody wants. I'm, I'm, of course, kidding. Sort of. Okay, maybe I'm not. I'll let you decide. But either way, I will talk to you on the internet very, very soon. One last thing before we totally sign off here. I just want to remind you. So, triangulate your speakers. Think about jumping off the bed, singing along, dancing like an idiot, and listen to Axe Grind podcast.
1: Hey there, I am Johnny Christ from Avenge Sevenfold, and I've got a podcast called Drinks with Johnny you're going to want to check out. I sit down with a bunch of different
3: people from all different walks of life, from professional wrestlers to